conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. Today I am joined by Molly Huddleston and we are talking all about her book, I Told You I Hated New York. Molly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me on, Deanna. Of course. So I just want to go ahead and jump right in and talk to you about your book. It's not super long. So, you know, I (laughs) know we had a few issues getting it to me because apparently living in the middle of nowhere now sometimes mail does not get to me so that was a fun little detour we took but you sent me the pdf and i basically ported it over to my kindle and read the whole thing in one night so for anyone who is curious you can read this very quickly and it's actually kind of nice to just do it in a chunk because the way you put the book together you did everything chronologically. So when did you realize that you wanted to start with this certain time period and just kind of move forward through your writing adventures, so to speak? So like I've been writing in some way, shape or form since I was about, you know, 12, 13. But I've been doing I started the music journalism thing in 2011, when I was 19. So I mean, the book, I I wanted it to start with basically when I felt like I was, you know, taking writing seriously and kind of doing something with it. And then I wanted it to end at sort of the present day. That certainly comes through because when you start this, you can tell, and not in a bad way by any means, that you're really realizing that writing is something (laughs) you want to do. And I know everyone who has written looks back on their writing and they're just like, oh, I did that. That's how I phrased all these things. And so to have you go back to the beginning and sort of walk everyone through your writing over the years, I thought was very smart and impressive because a lot of people aren't willing to put that old writing out there. Yeah. (laughs) And you went back to, what was it, about 2011 with your writing? So, you know, coming on... 10 years here. So that is certainly very impressive. And you can tell that there's a vulnerability in your writing too. Was that something you were worried about putting out there for the world to see? Because some of these stories were unpublished and some you made note of where they had been published before. Yeah. I mean, I think there was definitely like a sense of, first of all, like a sense of vulnerability and like, okay, some of this is really old. And I think I've improved as a writer since then. Uh, obviously, like I edited everything and revised for grammar and, you know, in, in cases where it was about someone else, like, you know, removed I- identifying details about another person. Um, okay. Yeah. And some of the stories about like an older time period were written more recently, but like the first few in the book were written, you know, very much in the moment. Um, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a vulnerability and like a, a nervousness of, oh, okay, like these are my, these are my feelings. And in a lot of cases, stuff I never actually talked about with anyone. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was definitely in a sense, I was nervous about what would people think if they read it, you know, I talk about my mental health, I talk about, you know, situations that have been really difficult that have hurt my feelings. I talk about, you know, in some senses, 
some like really exciting stuff like mm-hmm. photographing Taylor Swift and there's even like okay well what are people you know what are people gonna think even 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 with that you know like I I, I mean I am all over the internet and social media but it's it's definitely like an extra step to kind of put something like this out there. This also feels like the perfect time to put something like this out into the world where people are finally starting to talk more about mental health. You see a lot of athletes and musicians talking about it now, whereas before it was something that you just never talked about because it wasn't really accepted as a real thing people were going through. So the fact that you wrote about personal anecdotes and it wasn't just music writing, which I think a lot of people mostly know you for. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely something I think that's important to get out there, regardless of, you know, making yourself vulnerable. And for someone who writes as much as you do, I imagine you had even more than this compiled and you kind of weeded it out and down to the final product. Yeah, there were, I mean, I was going through hard drives and old private blogs and like, I, I had so many pieces I was sorting through. Uh, and you're right. Now I feel like, I mean, A, number one, what you said that, yeah, a lot of public figures and artists, so to speak, are being more open about their mental health. But I feel like just kind of people in general and, you know, people who work in the music industry, I have a day job in music, you know, outside of writing um, and and people in other fields too. I think it's becoming more accepted, but yeah, there was like a lot of stuff to sort through. And that was like, that was kind of the weirdest thing about putting this together was like, not even that I forgot stuff, but like, going back and reading stuff that I wrote. And when I read something that I wrote, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago, I, I'm like, really taken back like oh it (laughs) did feel like that (laughs) yeah that really did happen and I really did you know react that way to it plus putting that with the cringeworthiness that you can get with your structure and just some of the way you phrased ideas it's one of those things where you're kind of like wow that really happened in both senses and I want to specifically discuss your first story here, which is Mischief Manage, The Magic is in the Storytelling, because I don't know how up to date you are with some of the things that J.K. Rowling has said on Twitter and everything like that, but it's not a good look for her by any means. And is that something that you find makes it a little harder for you to enjoy something like Harry Potter? Because I know... When I started reading this, I was like, oh, she's kicking it off with Harry Potter. This is yeah. interesting because that story yeah. was so long ago. And then compared to now, it's like, all right, how do the rest of us Harry Potter fans sort of right. how do we, like, deal with, with these it? feelings that we're having? Because she has said some horrible and very weird things when she adds to the Harry Potter lore. We're just like, you know, you had something good going. Yeah. You should have just left it there. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely aware of this. Um, I will say, like, for clarity's sake, in terms of, like, my timeline of when I was putting the book together and choosing the pieces, the most recent kind of set of really unfortunate things she said was, you know, about uh, transgender people. That happened after I had put the book together. Okay. 
that being said, you know, yeah, of course. So over the years, she's definitely said some things I don't necessarily agree with or support as well as, yeah, just some weirdness of like, why is she adding all these details after the fact? But it was important for me to include that because, you know, the Harry Potter series did have a really big impact on me in terms of falling in love with even long before I knew I was going to be a music journalist or write about my own feelings. Like Harry Potter did have a really big impact on me wanting to be a writer and tell stories. Um, Now, you know, yeah, look, I have a lot of Harry Potter related merchandise and (sighs) socks and pajamas and an apron, you know, but now, especially with things she said pretty recently, I, I don't know if I really feel comfortable financially supporting that anymore, but I did feel like it was an important part of my story that I wanted to include. Um, I mean, if I were to have like put the book together one month later, uh, I may have put some kind of disclaimer or something. I don't know. But I, I felt like it was an important part of my story to include to kind of set this scene, I guess, for like where I was mentally sort of getting excited about writing. It's one of those things I struggle with, too, being in the middle of covering all of the Harry Potter books for this podcast. I've done the first four books. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, do I stop and not do the last three? Or do I just do the last three? And then maybe don't cover any more Harry Potter stuff going forward? Because I like completing things that I start. Yeah, So it would be very hard for me to just stop at, you know book four and be like, right, no, you guys aren't going to get to hear my thoughts on the rest of it. And, you know, I have some of her other books, the ones she wrote as Robert Galbraith that I haven't read yet. But for me, it's one of those things where I didn't buy those directly from a bookstore. I bought them from either used bookstores or local libraries. So I wasn't financially supporting her necessarily. I was supporting these bookstores and libraries that, you know, are so important to support. And I know we're getting a little off track here, but I think Harry Potter is so important to so many of us that it's hard for us to just forget how important it was because so many years later, she's now saying these things we don't agree with. Right. No, and it it is hard. And it's, you know, I, I don't know if there's necessarily like a right answer. I will say that like, you know, A, I... I don't feel comfortable financially, at least right now. I don't really feel comfortable putting any more money like in her pocket, right? Uh Uh-huh. Doesn't mean that like I'm not – I'm not going to throw away like first of all Mm -hmm. these like perfectly good pajamas that I have. You know, I'm not going to throw away this perfectly good apron that I have. I might be careful going forward in terms of like even like what I post online, you know? Absolutely. It's one of those things where – everyone sort of has to find their own way to deal with everything that's going on. And I think your book talks about this vulnerability a lot. And it's one of those things that fits right in with everything that's going on today. And another story that kind of resonated with me was Mikasa Sukasa. Because when I was going to school at Drexel in Philadelphia for college, we went to a lot of house shows. You know, that was kind of the thing. Yep. There were certain oh, kids. Oh, Philly, Philly is like, oh my God, Philly is like the place. Yeah, and it's funny because within the music industry, 
group there, there were certain houses that it was just kind of like the music industry kids always lived in and they would give them names. Like yeah. I think one was Sprinkle Kingdom and these houses would just have- Didn't, didn't Modern Baseball go to uh, Drexel? Yes. They had the Michael Jordan okay. house, I think, or something like that. Right. right. So Yeah, I think it was Michael Jordan. Yeah. We would just frequent these houses and it was kind of that same thing. We were all just this group of people- either putting on shows or going to the same people's houses for shows. So it's that. like you had more than one house that was sort of just this nice place to go hang out yeah. throughout our years at Drexel. And, you know, not everyone had usable basements or anything. Like I was in an apartment sure, building. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. renting an entire house out with a bunch of people. So right. it was one of those things where I was like, this is something I understand. Like nobody's going to yeah. make you walk home alone if you don't want to and all sorts of things like that. Yeah. No, and it was it was cool for me because like especially, you know, there's there's also a piece in the book about, you know, getting kicked out of my sorority house and, you know, therefore losing like a lot of my friends on yeah. campus. So discovering just supportive people in like sort of the DIY scene was really, really important for me. And it was even if it was people I hadn't necessarily met or known super well before they, you know, they would be like, yeah, come hang out, stay, make sure you're safe. Um, And that was that was really good. And, you know, yeah, it would it would be lonely, like on campus sometimes. But just knowing I had even somewhere else I could go to kind of escape was really nice. It was always funny because at the time, I lived in California, so I'd basically be flying cross-country to come home okay. for breaks and stuff. And yep. because I was by myself, because it's not like a ton of people at Drexel were flying into Orange County or LAX or something for break. And right. more often than not, you know, people start small talk on the plane or whatever. And sometimes I'd be next to yeah. older couples and they're, they're like, oh, you go to Drexel. Are you an engineering major? I was like... No, not not exactly. <laughs> well, it's either like I feel like it's either engineering major or music industry, at least because like I have a, a couple friends that went to Drexel and they're kind of like a mix between engineering majors who like music, you know, because a lot of uh-huh. my friends are people I bonded with over music. And music industry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's kind of it. There's no in between there. But then a yeah. lot of people are like, that's a major? And I was like, yeah, apparently, you know, yeah. that's that's why I'm here. It was not a major where I went to school. I had like gone to school. I picked my school, Case Western Reserve University. Um, I picked the school because I was planning to be an engineering major. And, you know, I got a really great scholarship there. And I loved the school when I visited. Um did not end up graduating with a degree in engineering. And, you know, there were definitely times where I, like, wished I had maybe gone somewhere I could study, like, music industry or something. But, you know, life happens, I guess. Oh, for sure. And there were plenty of music industry kids who, by the end of your four years, were no longer music industry kids because they'd switch over to business or marketing or just something else. Or they graduate with music industry and then don't do anything actually in the industry. Kind of like what I'm doing now. I mean, mine's kind of iffy <laughs> because I'm working currently on the Punk Rock MBA podcast. So it's like yeah, I'm doing that's cool. stuff that I kind of learned through taking the tech classes at music industry. Like I probably would have no clue how to use Logic if I hadn't interned at a studio yeah. in high school and done the whole music industry thing. So mine has shifted a little. It's like I'm working with music podcasts that are – about the yeah. music industry and just like branding, marketing and stuff that kind of 
I found more interesting while I was at Drexel. Mm -hmm. I was definitely more into the PR, the marketing, and just sort of making a name and a business out of a band. So for me, this kind of ended up being the perfect detour, I guess you could say. And to get back to the book, we can't talk about this without talking about the story that the book is titled after. I told you I hated New York. It's one of those things that I, I found pretty funny because... I kind of felt the same way about living in New York, potentially, Okay. especially after college. It's like, okay, all the a lot of music labels are in New York. And mm-hmm. after visiting, I want to say I had been there twice, at least two or three times anyway, I was kind of like overwhelmed. And I just yeah. did not want oh, to yeah. live in that city. I'm definitely more, I think growing up in Orange County instead of like L.A., I definitely liked the suburbs more. It was a little more laid back and it wasn't as hectic. And especially after being in Philly too, I was just like, oh, this is a lot of city. But it was fun for Philly because it wasn't nearly the scale of New York. Well, and that was like, you know, similar to me. Like I grew up in New Jersey, so I was like not too far from New York. So it's like I had access to the city to go out to dinner or go to a show or something. Um, But I didn't, you know, I I had kind of the peace and quiet of the suburbs, but then I went to school in Cleveland, which is a city. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I clearly like if if we're going to talk about the the title poem, I guess. Yeah. I mean, clearly I don't fully, completely and only hate New York, right? Right. Like if you if you read the poem, it kind of ends on a hopeful note. Um, But I what I was, you know, trying to get at with that was, you know, there was a person that I was really close to that would sort of joke about you know also someone who worked in entertainment um and we would sort of joke about oh yeah I could never actually live in New York City no way no way no way (laughs) to the point that it almost became like a thing and like the more I told this other person that I I hated New York the more I like believed it myself Mm -hmm. and then you know I'd had a falling out with this person and a couple months later, I was in New York and I, you know, I went to a show and I had met up with a friend for coffee before and I, I went out to dinner and I was just kind of like walking around and I just realized that like, actually, like, I don't have to hate New York. Like, I can right. actually like it. And and maybe I won't ever live in the city. It's pretty expensive, but I I can actually like it and I don't, I don't have to tell myself that I hate it or that it's too much or that like I would never be enough for it just because I had told someone else that. Right. Pretty expensive might be a little bit of an understatement (laughs) because I had certainly considered it. I had applied to a podcast studio over there and I have some friends in Brooklyn. One is working on podcasts and he's kind of like, you know, you should just come to New York. I was like, I can't afford New (laughs) New York remotely. And, you know, I'm someone who isn't particularly fond of having like eight roommates to try and afford to live somewhere. Yeah. Especially as someone who currently works from home and does a lot of podcast work. It's like, I kind of need it to be quiet when I need to be quiet. And I feel like when you live with that many people, you have no control over it. Yeah. (laughs) No. And even in college, after freshman year, I lived with one person the entire time because we were both quiet and we both just kind of wanted to do our thing and go to class and that was it. And so it worked out perfectly there. 
So it was one of those things where after college, I was like, all right, I think I'm going to try to not do the roommate thing. And I got a job, didn't have a roommate for a year, but then the apartment wasn't great. The job was just, you know, data entry. It wasn't the worst job in the world to have. It just wasn't Mm -hmm. something that kept my brain going the the way I wanted it to. It was just like, you do this task all day and that's it. And it doesn't really change. So I moved back home at the end of 2015, been at home ever since, which, you know, I know some people are kind of like, oh, I wouldn't want to do that, wouldn't want to move back home with my parents. But it's something that eventually a lot of people get over because I feel like now it's a lot harder to especially live on your own if you don't have a job that's going to pay to cover everything, and especially in a place like New York. I know very, very few people who live by themselves in New York. Yeah, I mean, and I, you know, so I graduated in 2013, and for a while I was touring and then I was, you know, kind of freelancing and sort of working whatever jobs so I could just like shoot 8,000 shows a year, you know? Right. And then I toured again and then it was like I needed knee surgery and I was like, I, you know, I want to at least stay with my parents while I like get through this surgery. Um, uh-huh. And I happened to get two part-time jobs, one of which became my full-time job that I still have now. And when I got that full-time job, like when it became full-time, I moved out pretty quickly, you know, and I'm not far from my parents. I still see them all the time. But I mean, I lived at home technically for like four plus years after I graduated. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I I live alone now, but that that is right. That is like a, you know, because I live in the suburbs and not not, not even like a, a beach town in New Jersey that would be like really nice or like <laughs> one of the cool towns like I, I I don't live in like a super excited place or anything but I live close to work and I have a one bedroom to myself which is nice but I don't think there's like a right or wrong way to do it you know my totally. brother my brother lives in Brooklyn and loves it you know has a couple of roommates he's happy but you know I, th- I think it's like whatever works for you yeah both like your lifestyle and your finances. That's one of the main deterrents for New York for me right now. And I think a lot of people feel the same way because I'd say 99% of the people I know who live in New York or are moving to New York soon have someone they live with, whether it's a significant other or just roommates. Oh, yeah. It's really hard to do on your own unless you come from a super rich family, which I'm going to go out on a limb and say most of the people involved in podcasting in the music industry do not. If you do, that is awesome. I'm happy for you. Not something I could afford to do really right now on, you know, just freelance work. But it was just one of those little poems, stories, whichever you prefer that stood out to me because I was like, oh, yeah, I've kind of had this feeling (laughs) about New York before. And, you know, I know we won't talk about every single story here, but your last one, I skipped my prom. Yes. I didn't go to a single prom either. Oh, good. I (laughs) didn't really care. I I was like, I'm someone who does not like dressing up. I don't like dresses. They just make me uncomfortable. I much prefer, you know, like basketball shorts because I played basketball. So I practically lived in basketball shorts for like the first three years of high school. I like dressing up. Probably more. I mean, my my job, I think I like dressing up now because my job doesn't have a dress code. So I'll wear like okay. jeans and a band hoodie to work. Right. So when I have the chance to dress up, like, 
you know, on New Year's, I wore, oh my God, it looks so cute on New Year's. Um, <laughs> I had this like, you know, really nice cardigan and this like sparkly top. My mom got me in a skirt, boots, did my hair and makeup. Um, I've always liked dressing up. It wasn't that. I mean, for me, I yeah. skipped my prom. Like, it was flat different. Out, flat out, I skipped my prom because I had, I did not have a date. I didn't have friends to hang out with. And I, you know, I had been to a handful of dances in high school, but it came to prom and I was like, going to that without like people to be with sounded awful. Like right. it sounded so awful. And I was kind of prepared to just, you know, either, I don't know. I, I don't think I had really made a decision of if I wanted to like just go and kind of go alone or, but I was kind of leaning towards just staying home. And then my friend calls me and she's like, do you want to go meet Simple Plan? And I was like, yes. Way um, better than prom. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, so I took, like, my dad picked me up from school and took me to the train. And I took one train into Penn Station. And then I got on the LIRR, uh, took that all the way out to Babylon, to Looney Tunes Records. Um, and, you know, she had, she was waiting in line already. So, like, her dad picked me up from the train station. He's like, all right, Sammy, Sammy's there. She's in line. She bought the vinyls. And I still have that signed vinyl hanging up on my wall. Um, and it's cool. And, you know, I it was much better than I think prom would have been. And, like, I do not – I have never for one second felt like I personally missed out on anything. Yeah, same. It's one of those things that my friends all love to do. And – yeah. It was one of those things where at first I kind of thought I was the only person who wasn't going to be going, but I was like, okay, that's yeah. definitely not the case. Not every single junior or senior goes to prom every year. And so yeah. I just, you know, would stay home, do whatever, yeah, watch TV or something and get pictures from my friends later. <laughs> yeah. And I got the experience of like dances like that, you know, before kind of everything, you know, kind of blew up in my sorority, I had a couple you know I had a few nice years there uh and I had some formals and dances and I took my crush to the date party you know one year and that was fun so I you know I, I've had the experience and there were pictures of that um but I, you've made up for it yeah yeah definitely yeah it's it's one of those things where I feel like reading that I was like oh cool I'm not the only one <laughs> even though oh, yeah. I already knew that it was just so, yeah. sort of refreshing to be like ah yes relatable story <laughs> like I would certainly have skipped any of the dances for concerts or something that I found yeah. more exciting to do. Obviously I'm not the only one who ever skipped my prom and I didn't want like I, I don't think I'm the only one who skipped it but I feel like something like that is not really something people I don't know. I, I haven't like read a whole lot of stories kind of yeah. along that line. Um, so like that was why I wanted to write about it. And because I could tie it into sort of this very full circle modern thing of like, oh, then I got to interview this band and basically write this story that like made me love this band in the first place so many years ago, you know. And I don't think any of what I write about is necessarily unique. And I don't like I'm not claiming it is mm -hmm. i just am it's just your story yeah exactly it's my story and hopefully other people can relate to it yeah well that was the final story in the book but i do yes. want to give you a chance to bring up any others that you think you really want to touch on or anything well the coffee grinder one that one i would have taken the coffee grinder just fyi 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there's a story in the book called Should I Throw Out Your Coffee Grinder? Um, And it was kind of written in like a moment of reflection of like, oh, I haven't, you know, I haven't talked to this person in several months now. Don't, you know, don't, don't intend to ever talk to them again. But like a coffee grinder is not like a framed photo or a friendship bracelet someone made or like it's not something you think of as like a sentimental object right no it's a very practical object that coffee lovers need (laughs) right exactly and prior to that i hadn't been using a coffee grinder and then it was like oh you know this person goes oh here is a here is a coffee grinder for you you know yeah and i i still have it because i do still i don't i don't have the emotion like emotionally i'm very much past that at this point but i i just kind of wonder like what do i i don't know do i do i keep it do i throw it out like it feels kind of weird to still have it because i just can buy ground coffee and and i prefer to just buy ground coffee it's easier yeah but it would feel wasteful to throw it out. I've become a little picky with my coffee making. Oh, really? So I've been doing cold brew, oh. which requires a different kind of grind than yeah. what the ground coffee is. So I'm just kind of like, okay, I I found like a toddy cold brew maker, which is just sort of this like oh. contraption where it sits at the top and then you drain it down into a container later. But interesting. Okay. I found it for like $5 at a Salvation Army. And I got so excited because normally they're like $35. So then yeah. I'm like, okay, I just have a coffee grinder right now where you push down on the lid yeah. and it grinds mm-hmm. it and there's no settings. You just have to guess. Yeah. So it's like, all right, maybe one day I will upgrade my coffee grinder if I find I'm making yeah. cold brew enough. <laughs> and then now it's just like I look at ground coffee and I'm like, that would be so much easier, but you're not the right yeah. grind. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I just, I buy the ground coffee. I like that story too, because it's kind of like, as much as it is about a person and my emotions and everything, it's also like about an object. Yes. Which I think is kind of cool. And like, how do our emotions tie into like a physical object and memories? So I think that was cool. Um, another story that I liked was the the one about seeing Ghastly okay. at Brooklyn. And that was really cool because it, it really was this whole new thing for me to like to willingly go see a DJ and to like stay out till three in the morning and to like realize that just like dancing and whatever could actually be super fun. Um, mm-hmm. That was that was a really cool one for me, for sure. Yeah, I found that one interesting because a lot of people either love or hate sort of the EDM yeah. rave scene. And it's one of those things that I've never particularly understood, sure. and my ears just aren't very fond of the music yeah. <laughs> to begin and that's with. Fine. It's kind of, yeah, yeah, it's kind of how I feel about metal music. I just okay. can't. It's one of those things. Yeah. When I was interning at a recording studio in high school, I was working with this metal band and <laughs> listening to their record over and over and over again. While it was a great experience in general, you were just like, getting this to be is in not, the studio, I yeah. was just like, oh my god, I never want to hear another metal song again. <laughs> yeah, and it took, I mean, it was, so that Ghastly show was 2017, 2017. And, mm-hmm. you know, up until that point, like, I had been exposed to EDM, like, a few times before. In right. 2013, I was touring with PETA and, like, I was on tour with Steve Aoki, you know, working for PETA for a couple weeks and ended up shooting a Steve Aoki show. I shot Zed and, you know, so I had I had been exposed to it in different ways, but it really wasn't until 
you know, it was kind of about someone introducing me to some artists, but it was largely just about, I don't know, finding, feeling like I found artists that sort of made sense to me, like Gashley, yeah. obviously. Marshmallow was another one. Um, San Holo was another one. Actually, like my favorite record of 2018 was San Holo's record. Um, I got to interview him. He was really cool. But it was about finding, I think, finding the artists that I sort of got for me. Mm-hmm. And there's there's still some stuff in that world. I'm I'm definitely not, like, by any means an expert. <laughs> there's still some stuff in that world I don't necessarily get or like or enjoy. But it is cool to me. And I think it, you know, people go to DIY shows. They go to basement shows to just, like, even if they don't know the band or like know every song they go to like see their friends and dance and mosh and you know whatever and that's the same reason just getting your aggression out relaxing rewinding it's the same reason people go see djs it's it it really does boil down to the same thing you know yeah maybe you dress a little differently maybe you know the music itself is different but it, it all comes down to the same thing and realizing that was very very cool for me And for big music fans, especially like yourself, it's always so fun to find this new artist or band to love. And, you know, I have been exposed to so many artists just from recommendations or even when I was in Philly in the music scene, that was like the first time I had really heard about the Menzingers and all of these bands (laughs) that I have come to enjoy so much because... I got to be a part of this scene. And even if EDM isn't something that resonates with me or some other people who read your book, I think it's still a feeling people yes. can relate to regardless of genre. Definitely. And and all the time I'm discovering new artists that I love, you know, uh, I, I wrote actually it came up on the Facebook on this day. Like, I think anyone who follows me on social media knows that I absolutely love the band Wakamoon. Um and mm-hmm. it just came up on Facebook on this day that I think it was three or four years ago. I wrote this whole thing on my old blog of like, oh, I actually really like this band Walk the Moon. And at the time, it was kind of weird for me just because they were so different from what I was used to, like, sort of falling in love with musically. But it was really cool. And, you know, fast forward a few years and I have a Walk the Moon tattoo and have you know, seeing them in concert many times. And it's a cool thing for me. And I think it's, I mean, I love discovering new music. And sometimes it doesn't connect. Or sometimes it's like, you have to listen to a few records by an artist or a few songs to find the one that like, really connects with you. Um, But I, I think it's the coolest thing in the world. And like, that's, I mean, ties back into like, why I'm a music writer, because I don't know about you. But like, I have always found that when I could like hear a podcast or read an interview with one of my favorite artists and I felt like I understood what they were talking about, that always made me see the music in a new light and Mm -hmm. felt like I could understand the music better. Yeah, I've certainly had that feeling, especially if you, you know, pick up a book that's about a band and it gives you all of this information Yeah, you didn't know. You're just like, oh, this makes so much more sense now. Yeah. And, you know, I have two shelves on my bookshelf that's just strictly music books. And so I have a lot left to read because anyone who listens to this podcast knows I have 
a crazy amount of books, probably. <laughs> and if if you're new to this podcast, listening to it for the first time, now you know I have many, many books and have not read many of them. <laughs> so yeah. It's one of those things where you get excited. Like I had semi-recently read Meet Me in the Bathroom, which okay. was about sort of the Strokes era of music in New York. And oh, even cool. though I wasn't a huge fan of the Strokes, I was just like, this book is so so good and yeah you read something like that and it like it makes you and it probably did it make you like want to listen to that band more yes i was like i love oh, that i love maybe that maybe i should give them another chance and it's like i know some stroke songs it's not like yeah. i knew nothing about the band going into it but i was like this is so fascinating and yeah. it just makes you want to listen to these bands and really understand them in a way that you hadn't before and I love that you shared a lot of things about music that you were kind of experiencing yeah. for the first time. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about experiencing for the first time, I think the free throw piece is a great example of that. Um, I obviously have listened to a lot of like emo and punk music, so it wasn't like a new genre of music. Uh-huh. Um, but they put out that record, Bear Your Mind, a couple of years ago, and that was one that like immediately – first time I put it on I was like oh like I I get this I I just you know I I immediately had so many feelings and I just immediately got it and then I even started reading you know interviews with the band and listening to podcasts that Corey had been on and I was like okay yeah I really get this uh which was which was cool and that's something that translates over different types of media too. Yeah. If you're really into a tv show you go read about it and then you're like oh something oh, totally, clicks now totally. and even, you know, I do that with comic books. If I okay. like a creator, I'll check out anything they do because I feel like it just makes me understand them better as a creator. Whereas, yeah. you know, if you if you get someone writing Marvel and DC comics, you do get a sense of who they are. But it's when they do creator-owned comics where you're like, oh, okay, yeah. this is where your brain goes when you don't have sort of these guidelines that you have to follow. And I'm not saying Marvel and DC are horrible for having guidelines or anything like right. that. It's just, you know, Batman is Batman. You're not really going to change the essence of right. Batman, no matter who's writing it. But it's one of those things that I think translates over many different things. And totally, it's just so fun to get to read different people's experiences about these things. Yeah. And that's why I love like I did. So I did a story last year, I interviewed uh, Judah from Judah and the Lion. Okay. And I as a part of that, I so they did this tour uh, last spring that was like really intimate and they would like tell stories and play acoustic. Um, and as part of my story, I found like a fan group on Facebook and reached out to I probably got responses from like, I don't know, eight or 10 people and then used a handful of quotes in the story. But it was really cool to have to like hear from fans about what they liked about this band and, and their experiences. I've always thought that like, I would love to do, I, I, there's so many ways you can take it, but I would love to just do features where I could like interview fans about why they love a band so much. I think that would, would be like a really cool concept. That would definitely be a series. I would It'd read. be fun, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you're getting this unfiltered answer from yeah. fans. Whereas, you yeah. know, bands hit, if they're big enough, they've kind of been trained in the PR game and they know what to say and what not to say. Yeah, well, and and 
as they should yeah. be, as they should be, you know. I think with fans, you sort of just get this. I would. I don't want to say more real answer, but you just get this excitement that you might not get from someone who has done twenty five interviews on the same subject. Yeah, that and. You know, if you're talking to a fan about why they love, you know, their favorite band so much, like you're just listening to someone talk about what they're excited about, something they love, Mm -hmm. not something that is their work that is ultimately tied to some form of their livelihood and career. So it's like a different, you know, and, and like part of the excitement of interviewing artists is like they are really passionate about their work, right? Like that's the whole thing for me. But it's definitely a different thing talking to, you know, a fan or even your friends about like, oh, my God, you know, I love this, this record. I love this song, whatever. It's like a lot of what I do on this podcast, obviously. Yeah. Today, I'm talking to you about your book in particular. Yeah. But for anyone who has listened to previous episodes, you know, it's me talking about things with other people that we just love to talk about. And I love that. You know, that's why I've covered every single MCU movie so far. I love that. And we'll continue more of them. But it is fun to get episodes like this in and talk to yeah. creators about the thing they're creating, especially if it's something that, you know, I am particularly interested in. And maybe that's selfish, yeah. but I am the host of this. So I yeah. feel like that makes sense. But I don't want to give all of your stories away because I want to leave the audience wanting to read the rest of your book. And like I said, you could easily do it in one sitting if you want to. If you want to do a few stories at a time, that works too. But where can people buy the book and follow you on socials? Sure. Uh, So you can buy the book on Amazon. Um, The link, it's bit.ly slash I-T-Y-I-H-N-Y, all capitals. Or you can just search I told you I hated New York on Amazon or check the show notes and I'll put the link in there for you oh there we (laughs) go (laughs) um and my socials Instagram and Twitter are m huddleson m-h-u-d-e-l-s-o-n perfect and I also have a YouTube channel but I have a very small number of subscribers now so I don't have like a, a proper URL yet but I mean you can look me up on YouTube if you just search my name I will toss all of your links in there for everyone so they can easily find it in the show notes. But Molly, thank you so much for coming on to talk about your book. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. Quickly, before we go, I want to let you all know that you can support the podcast on Patreon. We have some new tiers if you want to join the Welcome to Geekdom Slack to talk about comics, books, TV shows, movies, etc. That's $5 a month and you'll get access to that. A lot of the guests from the podcast are in there, so you'll get to have fun conversations with people who have been on this podcast and myself. And you can follow us at Geekdom Pod on Twitter and Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. As always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.